It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it, because you did. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. We'll punch you in the nose for 60 minutes with a relentless competitive attitude. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. And welcome to Wednesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com, as well as the mobile app presented by New York Lottery. Thanks so much for tuning in. He is Paul Dottino. I'm Lance Meadow. You can multiple ways for you to interact with us here on the program, 201-939-4513. You could also use hashtag GiantsChat on Twitter and directly interact with us at Lance Meadow, one word, last name, M-E-D-O-W. He is at GiantsWFAN. As a reminder, you can find the archive of this show and our entire podcast network brought to you by Investors Bank on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere, and at Giants.com slash podcast. We will be heading to Joe Judge's Week 5 press conference momentarily as he'll be addressing the media and setting the stage for the Dallas Cowboys game coming up this Sunday as the Giants will start their divisional slate within the schedule. So stay tuned for that. We'll get to your tweets. We'll get to your phone calls along the way. And we'll also break down what the Giants can expect as they get set to face off against the Dallas Cowboys team that certainly has a very strong offense, but a lackluster defense in the early stages of the season. Paul, how's everything on your end? Good morning, Lance. How to get up extra, extra early because Coach Judge called an audible and changed his presser time. But I'm okay now. Well, you're always used to the pre-snap <laughs> motions and adjusting and so forth, so you're the least of our concerns. This is we got to go to Coach Judge. There you go. All right, so we've turned the page as an organization today from the Rams. We're fully on the Cowboys right now going forward. Obviously, with divisional play starting, it's a big week for us as a team. Um, this rivalry, you know, without being said, obviously carries a lot of intensity to it. This is definitely a challenging opponent. This offense is very explosive. And the quarterback does a great job extending plays. He's very accurate. has a big arm. has the ability to stick the ball in tight windows. They've got multiple explosive receivers. Their run game is extremely good with Zeke back there. And the combination of Pollard for a change of pace. Both backs are capable of really having explosive plays and going distance. I think Kellen's done a great job of taking this offense, really adding his own spin to it, mixing in a large combination of misdirection, RPOs, and things that really help the quarterback. And obviously with Mike's influence, you know, they put enough changes on it from the previous years that it keeps you on your toes. You know, in terms of the defense, you know, it all starts with the edge rushers right there and up front. They've done a good job really putting pressure on opponents. You know, it starts with really trying to make you one-dimensional and let the pass rushers go at your quarterback and try to put pressure on your passing game right there. We've got to do a good job of protecting up front and buying time for our quarterback. You know, and then the kicking game, you know, Bones does a tremendous job of really great multiples and running with those fakes. So, very similar to what we talked about last week with the Rams with Johnny Hecker. Obviously, Bones is the one who started that whole deal out there, and he's carrying it over into Dallas. They're not afraid to roll the dice. They really do a great job of keeping you on your toes in terms of playing alert at all times for gimmicks. they got a punter who can throw the ball. They've got a kicker who can hit onside kicks at any time. And they've got athletes on the field in terms of PP sweeps, PP dives, and a lot of things to go ahead and extend their drive. So, obviously, this will be a challenge for us this week. Um, we're getting after today in terms of going on to the Cowboys. So, all that being said, I'll open up to any questions you may have. Chris, Coach, update on the injuries, please, and and the progress of Sterling Shepard. Yeah, Sterling's working hard every day right now. You know, I just saw him on the way from a minute ago. He's with the trainers a large part. Obviously, he's in our meetings with us and staying on the game plan, staying mentally involved. Um, you know, we hope to get Sterling back as soon as possible. We'll see what that timetable is, but he's progressing at a good rate for us every day. Any other injuries, Coach, to X and, and a few other ones? 
you know, we're going to check out X today, see where he's at right now. We've got a walkthrough practice for our team today, so there's not going to be a ton of exposure in terms of what guys are going to be doing, banging around and hitting. We're giving the guys a little bit of time to recover from the West Coast trip. This was planned weeks in advance, so we'll kind of take a look at a lot of the guys who are banged up from the game the other day and see where they are going in tomorrow when we put pads on. Okay, thank you. Jordan. Hey, Joe. You guys going on around the league. So, I mean, game. What's your guess one more time guys right now in regards to this? Can you ask that one more time, Jordan? Jordan, I'm sorry, you broke up. I, I couldn't hear that. You see what's going on around the league. What's your message to the players about the COVID? Yeah, listen, our message to the players now is the same as it's been since day one of training camp. There's protocols in place. There's things we have to respect and follow. You know, we've been diligent as an organization. The players have been very receptive. They've been, you know, very obedient to everything going on. You know, as coaches, we have a responsibility of making sure that we kind of keep these guys aware of what's going on around them. Um, they're very aware of what's going on, but we've done a pretty good job as an organization. I'm, I'm happy with the progress our players have made. So, Lombardo. Hey, Joe. How's it going, man? Hey, Matt. Good. Hey, um, so, you know, you guys are averaging like 11.7 points per game. Their defense has given up more points than anybody in the league. It looked like you guys kind of got some balance going in the second half on Sunday. What gives you confidence that this might be the week you guys break out of this a little bit? Yeah, I think just as a team, we have to keep improving on all three phases right now, Matt. Uh, we saw some progress from our offense. There's definitely some more balance last week. You know, this game plan will be different than a Rams game plan. We're playing against a different team. You know, look, their defense is very capable, and they've got a lot of athletes. One thing about this team is they've got a ton of talent. they got a lot of speed. They have explosive players. We've got to do a good job really count for those guys and giving our skilled players a chance to get to the ball and make plays within their hand. You know, our offense line has to do a good job to make a progress for us right there. So we got to carry over something we did last week and continue making progress. Is someone like Evan Ingram, who you know had a big second half against the Bears a couple weeks ago when you moved him around the line, is he somebody that you think could be a focal point against the Cowboys? Yeah, Evan's always a guy we try to get involved. So it doesn't matter who we're playing. Obviously, all the guys at the game we're trying to get involved. You know, Evan and his skill roles were whether it's you know in line with some of the blocking. He always has a big part of the game plan for us. Zach, hey Joe, um, going going back to when you were putting your staff together, what was it about Patrick Graham that you thought of when you were picking who your defensive coordinator was going to be, and what what has it been like seeing him kind of get the guys playing the way they have, especially this last week? You know, I've known Patrick for some time, so my experience of working with him gave me a lot of respect for him as a person, as a coach. I know the way he works. Uh, he's a very intelligent person. He's got a great rapport with his players. His players play very hard for him. Um, he does a great job of really playing with multiples and really game planning to fit each opponent specifically. That's something that's important to us as a team that want to be multiple in what we do and make sure we give our players the best chance to be successful. But, you know, Pat's a great dude. He's very, very smart. He's a heck of a football coach. Uh, I'm just, I'm excited still we're able to have our staff. You know, the leader in this division has only one win. Do you, do you focus on that at all? Do you talk to your team about that at all, where one win makes a big difference in everything? I think one win makes a difference every week, Bruce. And right now everyone in our division is 0-0 this week. So our focus is every week, one game at a time. We play this game like it's its own season. We play every play like it's got a history and life of its own. So that's our only focus this week is the Cowboys. Thank you. Tom Kahneman. Kahneman, you there? Hey, Joe, are you there? Hey, Tom, what's going on? 
Uh, nothing much. I mean, I just wanted to follow up on the uh, the COVID question. Yep. Are you thinking of asking players to to isolate instead of going home? No, I think the league's already established protocols and rules, and it's just our duty to follow those. Uh, I'm not a doctor, although I did stay at a Holiday Inn Express last night. Um, but just right now, you know, make sure we follow what they put in place. Thank you. All right. Hey, Joe, and I know uh, the Rams are in the rear view, but you made the decision to bring uh, Saquon and Shep and, and Jabril out to the West Coast. I'm just curious what was behind that thinking and what message was there a message you were sending to the team? To them? Why was it important to have them out there, even though you knew they weren't going to play? Yeah, I'd say real simple. Everybody on our team that's in any kind of injury protocols in a different position uh, with where Shep was, we thought it'd be good for him to kind of stay with the rehab and that multi-day trip, being the fact that it was more than one day, kind of added a little bit different curve to it. And Saquon and Pep, they're captains on our team. So that's the reason right there that they were on the trip. And we depend on those guys for leadership and being involved. And that was it right there. Just the other thing I wanted to ask you about, when you have uh, Jason running the offense, going against his former team, I'm just curious. I know every game is in and of itself, and guys know tendencies. You change the verbiage and stuff like that. But – how conscious are you guys of the fact that you're bringing an offense that Jason is running into a place that is pretty familiar with what he's run in the past? Yeah, I think you got to be conscious this year above all, Art, and just the fact that there's no fans with the TV broadcast, you can hear a lot of communication anyway. So I think on both sides of the ball, that draws awareness into what you're bringing into each stadium. You know, that being said, there's a lot of similarities and crossovers um, team to team. Everyone's worked in different places. Players have played in different places. Everyone has a lot of shared experiences. So, you know, the NFL, you can say it's a copycat league. You can say it's a transient league in terms of guys, you know, crossing over and carrying over experience from different places. Um, it's no different this week with having guys that were on previous staff. Um, but it's definitely – it's still a new week. The Cowboys are not the same team they were last year. Um, there's different styles of our offense. There's different curves on what they're doing offensively and defensively. So there's similarities to some of our staff experiences in the past, but it's definitely a new opponent. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, Art. Jory? Joe, on the flip side of that, how much do you talk to Jason about the Cowboys offense when you know he knows that personnel backward and forward? And also, what's the most helpful thing you've learned from him since he's joined your staff? Well, the second part of the question first is, you know, I could go into, you know, a long dissertation about the conversations I've had with Jason with Pat, with T-Mac and all the coordinators and things that we've learned, you know, things I've gotten off Brett Beal and Derek Dooley and their experiences before as well. So, you know, I try to make sure I gain as much information and knowledge from everybody on our staff. Jason has definitely, you know, added a lot and shed a lot of light perspective on things I've had to go through in my first year. Uh, that being said, we try to use every resource we have on every single week. So obviously with Jason's knowledge and personnel within the building, we've talked and discussed different things offensively and defensively with him. Um, he's not the only coach that came from that that team as well. So we try to use everyone we can in every situation. We'll take we'll take two more. Tom Rock and Pat Leonard. Tom Rock. Joe, you mentioned before that you haven't played in front of fans. You will this weekend. Is that something you have to sort of brace for and, and reacclimate to? No, to be honest with you, it's exciting. You know, I think there's a part of football that obviously we all want fans there. You know, there's a different kind of energy home and away. But I think both energy really add to the atmosphere and add to the environment. You know, I'm looking forward to playing Dallas this week. And the bonus that there's going to be fans there as well, that's just, that's just added a sentence. 
does it uh, does it bother you that some teams do have fans and some don't? I mean, obviously, the fans that are there aren't going to be rooting for you. No, I don't. I don't think we need any pats on the back to be motivated to go out there. But you know, look, there's obviously rules state by state. We respect those rules, and whatever atmosphere we're allowed to play in, we're going to embrace that. Last question here, Pat Leonard. Joe, you're a team that's been bringing in a lot of new guys and turning your roster over. How? What do you think of the NFL's new regulation on taking six days to bring in a free agent just for a tryout? Yeah, obviously there's reasons put in place for that, Pat. I think we just have to respect that. Does it make things a little bit more challenging in terms of planning ahead on the front end? Absolutely. But I would say that with the added practice squad spots this year going up to 16, different from the 10 in the past, that gives you a little bit more flexibility in who you can bring in and out of your program and kind of see players on an extended basis. You know, in terms of the tryouts, we have to be smart in how we you know, do things with players. Number one, six days in a hotel, we have to be realistic about what you're going to ask a guy to do on the field after sitting in a hotel for six days. Uh, to me, it's a lot about what you've seen on tape leading up to that and you know, calculating, you know, the investment you want to make with the player and what you're really looking for specifically when you bring them in for a tryout. I don't think you can just be a generic tryout, bring them out there, run through drills, see how it moves, because to be honest, you have to be fair to all the players. Six days sitting in a hotel – you're not going to hit the grass on day one really wow anybody. Everyone has some rust to knock off. So to me, I think you have to make it as much of a mental tryout as you do a physical tryout in how you approach it. And one last thing. Uh, have you communicated with people in the Patriots organization and Titans maybe and just kind of pick their brain about what's going wrong or how they're handling an outbreak? I mean, you guys obviously have done a great job so far, but are you reaching out to these people and kind of gauging – how these processes are going, or do you just think everything's different? Yeah, I would say this just in general, Pat, it's a small league. So I think everybody uses their own resources and kind of their own, you know, network to communicate and get different ideas on how you can handle things. I'd say I have had communication with those teams, although I haven't had communication with them in the last, I'd say, week or so. So anything specifically that's going on right now in the news, I don't have any light to shed on that, but we have talked continuously throughout in terms of, different situations that may have came up or different things to anticipate and ask them kind of how maybe they're structuring different things and vice versa, kind of getting influence from what we're doing as well. But we try to use everybody's experiences to learn from. And in a year like this, it's important to make sure you communicate, kind of just find out what's going on around the league so you can anticipate and then avoid problems. Thanks. Thanks, Coach. All right, so that was Giants head coach Joe Judge addressing the media as the Giants prepare for their Week 5 matchup against the Dallas Cowboys Sunday at AT AT&T Stadium in Big D, and there will be fans present. That's why Joe Judge was asked about that, which is going to be much different from the first four games. To provide proper context, the reason why the media asked Joe Judge a variety of questions pertaining to COVID-19 is that this morning, multiple reports have stated the following. There were two new positive tests in Tennessee. So the Bills-Titans game right now this Sunday's in jeopardy. Remember, the Tennessee-Pittsburgh game was moved to week eight, and they both took their buys this week because of multiple tests with the players at personnel in Tennessee. Now, all of a sudden, they needed two straight days of no positive tests to get back in their facility because two new positive tests arose. That now brings it to question whether or not they're going to get back to their facility this week, whether or not they could play the Bills. We also learned, according to reports, Patriots corner Stephon Gilmore, he tested positive. So now the Patriots-Broncos game is somewhat in a cloudy situation, even though there are reports stating that they look like they're going to go with that game moving forward. New England, of course, played Kansas City in 
a game that was pushed back a day. No positive tests, though, today with the Chiefs who had collided with New England on Monday night. So, you know, Paul, we've talked about this before we get into things pertaining to the Giants-Cowboys game. We talked about this the other day. This is a very fluid situation. Things clearly change by the day, by the hour, and it's a matter of teams being disciplined, coaches being disciplined, staff being disciplined, so that hopefully we can move forward with the least amount of interruptions as possible. Well, look, I I know that what's going on with these two teams has got to be concerning to everybody around the league, but I do understand that everybody is in a different situation. We all know we're in different parts of the country. We're in different states. Different states obviously have different levels of of virus infection. Uh, Every single team, although they've all been given the lists of protocols, there are some teams that are going above and beyond those lists. For example, I mean, I could tell you firsthand. I mean, I'm, I'm here at the Giants facility, and, and the, the rules are very strict. They are very thorough. They are very detailed. And I've, I, quite frankly, Lance, I feel very safe when I'm here. I'm not going to lie to you. I feel extremely safe when I'm here because I see what they're doing. And when you get a chance to look at it firsthand, you have a tremendous amount of confidence in what the people have done here. I can't speak for the other teams around the league, but I'm sure there are some variables. It's impossible to imagine that all 32 teams' facilities are being legislated exactly the same way. Or should I say they may be legislated the same way, but it doesn't mean they are effectively being managed the same way. Well, and it also is based on the players and the personnel decision-making outside of the building, though, no Paul. No question. See, that's the wild card. No question. And I, and I think... You know, the, the one element of all of this, it, it's been stressed time and time again. And we all know that not everybody listens. Look, when you were a little kid and your mother told you not to take any cookies before dinner, there were times you snuck a couple of cookies before dinner. Let's not kid well, ourselves, You're still Lance. taking cookies in adult age, so we know you didn't follow the rules. <laughs> but go ahead, yes. <laughs> so, so, I mean, it's going to happen. And, and I guess the question becomes, A, Uh, Are your people going to be diligent enough to understand and respect the directions and the instructions around the clock? That's number one. Then number two, if they do stray outside of the directives, are they doing it in such a careless manner that, I mean, for example, if you accidentally, you know, walk into the CVS and forget that your mask is in the car and you walk into the CVS for 30 seconds and then realize, oh, my God, I forgot my mask. It's in the car. Well, obviously, you, you broke a rule, you're wrong, you made a mistake, but that would be considered, I would think, you know, certainly a heck of a lot minor than walking into a crowded room with a bunch of people who are shoulder to shoulder, if you understand what I'm saying. Sure. So, well, I mean, I just, think, ahead, that, I, well, yeah. I just think that, you know, it, it's incumbent upon everybody who has the privilege. And by the way, can I just say one thing, Lance? And I don't think enough of us understand this. I certainly do. I always have. It's a privilege to work in the National Football League. Let's make that very clear. Every coach, every player, every team employee, every member of the front office, and yes, every media member, although they certainly don't seem to appreciate it very much, everybody who works in or around any aspect of the National Football League has it as a privilege. We don't have a right to do this. This is a privilege. When you have a privilege, that means you better respect the rules. 
And that's just the philosophy that I've always had. And I, I, I could tell you, I appreciate every day of my 38 years that I've been covering this team in this league. And, you know, anything you tell me to do, including stand on my head, is, <laughs> is, far, is fine with me because that's how much I appreciate and I'm grateful for the job that I have. Well, it's a small inconvenience, which is the way that I look at it for the greater good. And not to get off on a tangent, but if you look at how airport security, Paul, has changed over time, unfortunately, because of some horrendous acts that occurred in the history of this country, I always look at it. If you got to wait a little bit longer on a line to get through security, if that means the safety of everybody else involved, Paul, then it's worth having to go through that. It's a small sacrifice in the big picture of things, very similar to the protocols in place. Not just, by the way, I should say... Within football facilities, Paul, but anybody else who's returned to work in some capacity or has to understand that they're interacting with people that they may not be around on a daily basis and they don't know where they've been. Everyone understands that there's sacrifices that need to be made. But what I want to say in bringing it back to football and how it's not just the media members, as you mentioned, and the coaches and so forth, there was a report that surfaced this morning. And I want to emphasize, this is a report. This doesn't mean that it's 100% truthful. The NFL is investigating whether or not given the fact that, Paul, the Tennessee players were not allowed in their facility the last few days. So like any other football player, right, right. you're a creature of habit. You can't just stay pat and say, well, we're going to eventually get back on the field in a week and I'm going to be in the same amount of shape that I was prior. So they're looking into whether or not the players got into their own groupings outside the facility to work out. Now, I don't blame the players for having that passion and desire to do that, Paul. But once again, if the NFL indeed is telling them, hey, stay quarantined, don't go anywhere, and then you do it anyway, that brings into question the decision-making of the individual players. It is a very, very sticky situation, Lance, no matter how you look at it, because a mistake can be made simply out of out of a, a, a brain lock, if you will. And certainly you can have good intentions, as you just said. Maybe guys decide, you know what? Okay, we can't go to the facility to work out. We need to work out on our own. And then in the course of working out on their own, they slip up and they make a mistake. And and how you know, like you just said, I mean, how do you how do you get on a player for that? How do you say, look, you messed up? Yeah, but coach, I was just trying to work out because, you know, we can't come in. I mean, Oh, man. You know, it's, it's a reflection it's, of work ethic. That's 20, what it is. It's 2020, yeah. Lance. It's 2020. That's the problem. It's 2020. And I think we're all sick of this, this stinking year. And we want to get to 2021 as soon as possible. I'm sorry. Right, well, I shouldn't take that out on you. It's not your fault. I didn't take it personally. Don't worry. <laughs> I just thought you were airing your grievances. And I happened to be in the vicinity listening to are it. We from all, a remote are we situation. all done with 2020? Yes. For goodness sakes. Seriously. <laughs> We're all done well, with this. The good news is we're not that far away from the start of 2021. The bad news is, Paul, I can't tell you that when the calendar strikes January 1st that everything's going to disappear and be okay. No, So it's that's sort of true. a 50-50 situation. That is true. I understand. Lance Meadow, Paul DeTito with you here on Wednesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live, which is presented by New York Lottery. Get out there and play. 201-939-4513. You could also tweet at us, hashtag Giants Chat, directly to us at Lance Meadow. One word, last name, M-E-D-O-W. He is at Giants W-F-A-N. We are recapping Joe Judge's press conference, which we heard earlier in the program. COVID-19 certainly came up because of what's happening across the league. Now let's shift gears to the actual matchup pertaining to the Giants as they get set to visit the Dallas Cowboys. And one of the most popular talking points in terms of questions that Joe Judge fielded, and 
I figured this was eventually going to come up, is the Jason Garrett connection to Dallas and Dallas's familiarity with Jason Garrett. Now, Paul, you can argue this goes both ways. For anybody trying to really put this under the magnifying glass and wonder, well, do the Giants have an advantage? Do the Cowboys have an advantage? Yes, there are a number of Cowboys players and Kellen Moore, who is his offensive coordinator, they understand Jason Garrett, his tendencies, and what he likes and what he doesn't like. So you could say that is something that perhaps can aid Dallas, as well as the defensive players who may have been around and understand what the offense was all about. Then you can argue, well, Jason Garrett also knows the strengths and weaknesses of a lot of the personnel still on the roster on both sides, having overseen the entire roster for the last several seasons. So I don't think any team specifically has an edge. I think you can argue there's pros and cons that go both ways. Well, if you'd really like to find an edge here, it's got to be with the Giants and Mark Colombo because he's in the pits and he totally, and I mean totally, has to know everything through and through about what is going on in the trenches. So I'm going to disagree with you here, Lance. I think you're right in terms of Jason Garrett. There are a lot of generalities. Uh, There are certainly some things about personnel. There are certainly tendencies that both sides can kind of chew on. But Mark Colombo, his job, his business, was to know every single possible thing that he could know about that Dallas offensive line. And even though there have been some changes since last year. There have been some changes, indeed. No question about that. But there are still some guys there who he knows not only about what they are as a player. He knows what they ate for breakfast. He knows what brand of tissue they use when they blow their nose. And so that intricate detail, trust me, that can be extremely helpful. Because there's no head coach who's going to know all the details about every one of his players. But his position coaches will. That's where this comes in handy. Colombo will know everything there is to know about any of the holdover Cowboys linemen, and you can bet you that he will share that with the Giants' front seven. Well, Tyler Biotish, who now is expected to be their starting center because Joe Looney got hurt. He suffered a knee injury on Sunday against the Browns. Biotish is a fourth-round pick this year, so he certainly didn't work with him. That's a brand-new player. As far as weaknesses for Tyron Smith and Zach Martin, who are their two Pro Bowl offensive linemen, I think the Giants have gone up against them enough to really know those two guys. And at this point, it really is just winning your individual battles. I don't think those guys have a tremendous amount of weakness. And then you can argue Brandon Knight, who is expected to be at the right tackle spot, who replaced Terrence Steele. Knight was an undrafted rookie in 2019 out of Indiana, and he barely played last season. Now, that's not to say Mark Colombo doesn't know him. It's just I think there's a number of new faces that Colombo didn't necessarily have as much exposure to, which are the guys that if I'm the Giants, I want to try to capitalize on because those guys are not the pro bowlers within that offensive line. Well, that, that's understood. But at the same time, you know, you also have to consider that Cam Fleming was with Dallas last year. Sure. And Cam knows their defensive line. and prob- Which has also changed too, by the way. Okay. Olden Smith, Dontari Poe, brand new. We're on that, the team that, last that year. That is true. There are changes there too. But like Demarcus Lawrence and Tyrone Crawford are still No, there. they were both there. Okay, so so there must be idiosyncrasies and things about them that he can pass along to the Giants fellow linemen. I just think when it comes to the trenches, there's not a huge, huge advantage here. I agree. It's not a big deal, but there will be some small crumbs that absolutely would be to the Giants advantage to digest specifically 
that offensive line and that defensive line, to be quite frank with you as well. I do, I do think the Giants do get a little bit of a, of a heads up on this. The bottom line is it's going to come down to execution at the well, end sure. of the day. And I said this yesterday, and I'll continue to emphasize it. You can look at the Dallas defensive statistics all you want, and you can say that, boy, they have had a rough start to the season, and it's well-documented. All you need to do is look at points per game. After the Rams game in which they gave up just 20, they've surrendered 39 to the Falcons. They've surrendered 38 to the Seahawks, 49 to the Browns. So, you know, that's an attractive matchup. But once again, the Giants' offense is averaging less than 12 points per game. So I'm a little bit shying away from the fact that if you want to say because of the matchup on paper, Paul, this is going to be the game where the Giants all of a sudden break out of their shell and they light up the scoreboard. The Giants have to prove that they can do that on a consistent basis. They have to prove that they can finish drives. There's a team that is two for 10 in the red zone. I'm not doubting the Giants' ability to move the ball against the Cowboys' defense. My big question mark is, can they still prove that they can turn lengthy drives into touchdowns? Something that based on those red zone numbers that I just mentioned, which by the way is dead last in the NFL at 20%, okay? Nobody else is below them. The Jets are right in front of them at 22%, I believe, if you round it off. So that has to turn around. That has to start a new narrative before I start jumping on the bandwagon that every time the Giants have an attractive matchup, that it's automatically going to be resulting in positive results for the Giants. Because, Paul, we've had these conversations over the years. We've talked about this is an attractive matchup, and more often than not, hasn't necessarily worked out in favor of the Giants. So that's why I'm heading in that direction more so as far as the more optimistic viewpoint until I at least see it at some point this season. Well, I told you going into the game last week against the Rams, and if I didn't say it on BBK, I certainly said it during our radio pregame show, uh, the Giants have to show me that they can do certain things that they have not really been able to do so far before I start having confidence that they could do it this weekend. And I feel exactly the same way now. However, there is one facet of this, and I, and, and I don't know where you got the thought that I automatically said that the Giants have a good matchup here. I never said that. No, I, I didn't accuse you of but, saying that. But we're, we're, I, I think, though, in general, there's a lot of people out there that think this is a very attractive matchup and this is going to be the turning point. Well, I think that that's a fair takeaway in general, though. I think, I think that's a premature takeaway, quite frankly. Again, until the Giants prove that they can do what they need to do, I don't think anybody can assume anything. I will say this, however— didn't Dallas, uh, you know, show you that they absolutely, positively cannot do anything to stop the run during the first month of the season? And the Giants just came off of a game where they ran for over 130 yards as an offense. Uh, that's very helpful. Now, of course, it was only about 90 yards that came out of the running backs because we Daniel know that Jones Daniel had Jones, 45. yes, yeah. he, he did his own uh, legwork as well. Now, that's not to say, and again, I don't want him to make a habit out of that, but it's not to say that he can't do that again against this team because if it's there, he certainly is going to take it. But if you do want any indication of any proof or evidence that this could be a, a good area for the Giants to try to make hay in, it would be the fact that Dallas has shown zero interest in stopping the run and the Giants' run game actually somewhat showed life and seemed to get on track last week. And yes, I do believe that Devontae Freeman in his first two weeks has shown progress. And I think he does have something left in the tank. I do think he'll be the primary back for the rest of the season. And I would like to believe that it will be efficient enough 
so that this offense can function as a normal NFL attack. The other name that I think Warren's bringing up is Wayne Goleman, who gets sort of thrown to the back burner. Goleman has once again proven when given opportunities, he can be a productive back. He actually had that 26-yard run, which was the longest run that the Rams have allowed thus far this season. They hadn't given up a run over 20 yards in the first three weeks of the season. And remember, Goleman came in for Barkley last season and unfortunately suffered the concussion in the Vikings game. That was after he was fairly productive against Washington. And just unfortunately, he's never been able to build off of that because of injuries and then did not really factor into playing time last season. But Goleman's a sneaky guy that I wouldn't dismiss from the conversation in terms of usage moving forward. And I would agree with you. I think it was a very encouraging sign how the Giants ran the ball. To me, these are the more impressive numbers. The fact that they had eight runs for five yards or more, and they had five runs for 10 yards or more, including the 26-yard run that I referenced. Because if you take into consideration what the Giants did in the first three games of the season, they had a total of five runs for 10 yards or more in three games. Then they matched that total in the fourth game alone. Then in the last two games, they had 11 runs for five yards or more. They had eight alone against the Rams. But this, to me, is the bigger indicator because this had been the Achilles' heel. Paul, they had nine runs for no gain or negative yards in week one against the Steelers. They had three against the Bears. Okay, that improved. Then it went back up to five against the Niners. They had two, just two, for no gain or negative yards. They had one for negative one, one for no gain. So if you want to take it a step further, just one negative run against the Rams. I look at that as a big development because we were talking about handoff comes immediately. There is defensive penetration in the backfield, and the running backs barely have enough opportunity to try to beat their one-on-one guy. That was not happening against the Rams, and if that continues, that to me is a sign where hopefully you show a little bit more consistency out of the backfield. Well, that would certainly be hopeful hopeful on their part. I will say this, uh, as Coach Judge just said during his presser, and he's right about this, No matter what Dallas has done in terms of their lack of productivity on defense, they do still have a lot of speed. That's just indisputable. They've got guys on defense who really can run around in a hurry. Now, somehow, some way, you want to be able to use that against them. So, to this point, teams have just basically taken advantage of a lot of missed assignments They've taken advantage of guys on defense by the Cowboys who don't seem to be necessarily running at full speed. And quite honestly, it also looks like they've been quite confused on on a regular basis. Now, you know, I don't know about confusing them necessarily, but what I do know is this. What do you usually do against a team that has speed on defense? The best way to combat those, those teams is to become more physical. You want to absolutely batter them as much as you possibly can because that's the kind of thing that will slow them down and will also force them to start losing interest. So if I'm the Giants and I look at that 130-something yards that I ran the bowl for last week, I would seriously consider trying to make this a heavy dose of the run game this week with the anticipation that you may have some success. And if you can do that early, Just keep hammering at home, pounding the rock and pounding the rock and pounding the rock. Because the other part to that is, hate to tell you, Lance, but if you can win the time of possession, it will enhance your chances 
because you'll be keeping Prescott and company off the field. We all know that they've been behind by a minimum of 15 points in each of the last three weeks and came roaring back. And if it wasn't for a stupid, stupid special teams play by the Atlanta Falcons on an onside kick, the Cowboys would also be 0-4 because they haven't done anything to deserve to win a football game. That's how well, bad to your they've point, been. They, yeah, they've had to play catch-up every single game. Okay. And I think that And they can do into- it, though. That's the problem. They can do it. They could do it enough to make teams sweat, and they actually stole a victory because of an onside kick. So you have to make sure that not only do you pound it and pound it and pound it, but when you get up on them, you keep pounding it and keep getting physical and don't keep giving them the ball back because teams, they, they take their foot off the gas, they let Prescott get the ball back, and all of a sudden, three plays later, he's got a touchdown. Well, because you, they're an explosive offense. You can't let that happen. Yeah. You well, can't and, let and that, that happen. And that was my counter to the time of possession argument, that if you go up against a team that – you could put a lengthy drive together, you get a field goal, and then they could score in three plays, which is what happened with the Packers-Falcons game that I was referencing the other day on Monday Night Football. And Aaron Rodgers in five minutes scored a touchdown, whereas it took 10 minutes and change for the Falcons mm-hmm. to score a field goal. Then teams can counter time of possession because they know they have the talent. And Dallas does have the talent to counter a lopsided time of possession. The other thing that I would argue is the reason why teams have been effective in pounding the football against Dallas is they've jumped out to those early leads and game flow has played into their favor. For example, you look at Cleveland. Cleveland ran the ball, Paul, 40 times. 40 times Mm -hmm. for over 300 yards. Now, that's a ridiculous yardage per carry. They had nearly eight yards per carry. But, I mean, this was a Cleveland team that jumped out to a 31-14 lead at the half. Mm -hmm. So they knew in the second half, hey, Unless Dallas proves that they can stop us, we're just going to pound the ball, milk the clock. So part of pounding the ball, part of winning time of possession is also getting Dallas in an early deficit. But what has the Giants' struggle been, Paul? The Giants' struggle has been to jump out to early leads and maintain them. So remember, it's got to play into the hands of the Giants just as much as it does in terms of Dallas being put in that precarious spot, which haunted them in each of their first four games. Look, would you would you see Dallas's ability to score like they can and what they could do to you on the offensive side of the ball? There's no doubt if the Giants are going to win this game on Sunday, first thing is they've got to control the time of possession. I'm sorry, Lance, but you've got to reduce this game to eight possessions apiece. You can't have Dallas touching the ball 11 times. If they touch the ball 11 times on offense, they're going to have too many opportunities to score. So when you control time of possession, you control the amount of shots that they have or at-bats, as you like to say. So if Dallas only has eight opportunities to score, well, that enhances your chances of their de- of your defense keeping the score down into the 20 area, if at all possible, or the 24-point area. That's number one. Number two, if you're only going to have eight possessions, this is where you're correct. You've got to cash in on your possessions. Make sure on your eight possessions, not only do you milk clock, but that you get sevens. See, the, the, the problem is you're actually right, but it's only the secondary factor as opposed to the primary factor of how you beat a team like this. Well, but they're 2 of 10 in the red zone. So until that changes, my philosophy, at least as it pertains to the Giants, is not going to change, meaning you can milk the clock all you want, you can put together lengthy drives, and then if Dallas gets the ball back and scores in three plays, it makes no difference, and it's irrelevant to me. So all of this is based on 
the simple fact of can the Giants score touchdowns when they get down in the red zone? If they could do that, then sure, time of possession is going to be a significant advantage. If they don't, though, which was the case against the Rams when they had plus seven minutes over them or nearly plus seven minutes, it did nothing because nine points on eight possessions, let's use your number, is nothing if then the opposition can put up 17 to 20 in nine possessions. Makes no difference. Congratulations. You held the ball for over seven minutes. Okay. You maybe kept the game competitive. At the end of the day, though, the result showed nothing. Someday you'll learn, business. Someday you'll learn. Well, it's a matter of you and I just disagree with philosophy. There's nothing wrong with that. The funny part is your philosophy is built into mine. It just happens to be a secondary part of it. That's all. Well, I emphasize scoring touchdowns because that's what wins football games. There is no team that you could prove to me in NFL history. I'm not just speaking to you, Paul. I'm speaking to our entire audience. Points will always win a game. That averaged around 15 (laughs) points a game and won a good portion of their games. It just, show me a team that's done that. See, here's what you're forgetting, Lance. And there have been many a teams, as the San Diego Chargers of Eric Coriel and Dan Fouts. You could score 28 points a game, but if you give it up 30 a game, it doesn't matter. You're still going to have trouble winning the big prize. So you could score all the touchdowns you want. If you keep putting your defense in bad spots and keep giving too many opportunities to the other team, if they're explosive, they'll outscore you. The point is, Lance, you have to be smart enough to understand you don't want to get into a track meet against a team that has offensive explosive firepower. You want to take that team down into the mud and have a tug of war with them. That is your best chance to win, period, end of story. There is no conversation about this. Well, but once again, the tug of war has not proven to be effective in helping the Giants win a game, well, at least until this the- point. That's what I'm saying. That's that's the Lance, fact. The Giants haven't, haven't been able to win tug of wars. The only time they were able to do it was last week, and they were in position to do something and steal a game. The other three games, they were not in position to because they had no chance because their time of possession was so horribly lopsided, they really didn't have enough of an opportunity to win. Even though they got close on the last drive against Chicago, the fact is, had they controlled the time of possession in that game, they would have won the game by two scores. Well, you could also argue if they would have held on to the football, too. Remember, turnovers is played. But time of possession is part of turnovers. Yeah, of course. I don't understand why. How is it that you don't see two plus two equals four? I don't get that. I am. I'm seeing it. I'm bringing in other factors within the conversation. What's what's the problem? It's okay. Why do we have to limit it to one? Why does the conversation have to be associated with one facet? No, no. Why can't it it involve multiple facets? The game is a spider web. Yeah, so that's my point. Again. Part of what you're saying is all part of the spider web that I've constructed, so it's perfectly fine. I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm not telling you you're wrong because what you say holds merit. It's just part of a bigger picture. We got, we got that's, calls on And home. that's we the thing that we're bringing calls. to the forefront. It's a part of a bigger picture. There's no one right or wrong way to talk about football philosophy because there's a number of factors. See, there are some people that just want to say, this is the only way that you can go about winning a game. That's it. There's no other part of the conversation. That's not how football works. There's many different facets. That's the bigger picture. There are always more than one way to skin a cat. That part, that part is true. Giants fans get a New York Giants checking account from Investors Bank with a Giants-branded debit card, security features, and discounts at the Giants online shop. You can earn up to $250 when you open an account. Visit InvestorsBank.com slash Giants member FDIC. Lance Meadow, Paul Dottino with you here on Giants.com as well as the mobile app. Big Blue Kickoff Live presented by New York Lottery. Get out there and play. Let's open up the phone lines, 201-939-4513, hashtag Giants Chat. Scott is in New Mexico. He gets us started. What's happening, Scott? Hi, guys. How are you? Hi. 
Do right, Scott. Uh, what do you got for us? Interesting conversation. I hope you guys don't fight too much, but no, we're not okay. fighting. We're having it's a dis- okay. see. The, don't, okay. Scott. We're, Paul and I sometimes don't necessarily agree, and there's nothing wrong with that. We can't live oh, in a I world agree. where I have to agree with everything that the other person that's on the show says. Actually, you know, in, in terms of social media conversations, th- some of you want to grade these debates. I'm not here to get a grade. <laughs> oh, no, I'm, I'm here to give you my opinion. You debates. like it, great. It was, it you don't move on. Scott, Scott the truth is, is, he and I actually agree more on this than either one of us realize. Right. <laughs> that's the truth. Well, let, let me get to my points because I know you have some calls. Uh, First one, in regards to the COVID situation, I wanted to get your opinion. Uh, Something that disturbs me, uh, Derek Carr, who's the quarterback of the Raiders, uh, was photographed at a fundraiser without a mask on. He knows the protocol that was told to him by the NFL. I'm not singling him out uh, per se, but I want to know why he wasn't suspended or why he was let go, and simply because he may have been the quarterback. I don't think if you're going if you're going to make rules and everyone's going to have to follow them, then there have to be severe penalties for breaking those rules because it jeopardizes the the whole impact upon the NFL. And I'm wondering why the NFL has been so lax. Not that they haven't fined uh, you know coaches for not wearing masks, but when you have a player doing it and, but they and did photographed that way, players. why why isn't he? punished more severely, and I wanted to just get that off my chest because I don't think it's fair to the other players, uh, whether it's uh, his teammates or uh, other teams he's going to face. So I wanted to get your opinion on that. Yahoo Sports, and I'm quoting, uh, says, Carr was among several Raiders who were fined $15,000. Waller was fined $30,000. Darren Waller, the tight end. Uh, all in regards to the incident that you're speaking of. So there was a punishment levied. And by the way, uh, the punishments that were handed out were in conjunction with the specific protocols that the league and the Players Association had bargained collectively during the uh, the early part of this when they said we have to install some type of penalty. So I'm not sure where your complaint lies. Well, the complaint lies that the penalty is not severe enough. They well, that's the hey, you know what? A million take, dollars in the teams. Take 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 that. take that up with Goodell and the players' union because once they set the laws, now you can't gripe about whether or not they were executed when they were. Okay. If if you think their initial policy was incorrect, that's that's fine. You're you're okay. absolutely entitled to that opinion, Scott. But once the policy's been set, they executed it. I don't see where the where the fumble is. And, Scott, well, they're not going to suspend guys for this because then that goes into competitive balance. And players okay. are being lost because of testing positive. The last thing the league wants is a team losing its starting quarterback because the quarterback didn't wear a mask in an event. So I, I don't right. see that happening. All right. I, I, I was just asking the question because it seemed like uh, the punishment was not severe enough if you're jeopardizing your teammates and so forth. And that's why I was bringing it up. Well, in, in fairness, point. though, Scott, before you continue, I believe, sure. I could be wrong, but I believe that after that Raiders incident, the league has now told players that they can't go to any of those charity events anymore. Correct. So they pretty oh, much okay. have wiped that out. So, I mean, that's probably going to then limit the exposure because you're telling the players you can't hold those events anymore, period. And, and also, okay. Scott, understand, all of these protocols are fluid. Yeah, I mean, right. like, like Lance just mentioned, they've already altered that one. They've actually already adjusted a number of the protocols, and they will continue to do so collectively as they see fit. So, Right. Uh, here's my main question. I kind of agreed and disagreed with both of you at the same time, if that's possible. 
Uh, I think that each game that they play this season, the Giants, is its own entity. In other words, it's hard to pigeonhole and say this has to happen or this has to happen, etc. Because you can look at the Philadelphia team that beat San Francisco in the week before San Francisco beat us with basically the same personnel. In fact, Philadelphia was missing pretty much the whole starting offensive line. So each game is its own entity, but the central key to every game is, of course, the quarterback. I've said this on a previous broadcast. In order to establish the Giants' identity on offense, uh, because I think they're starting to accomplish that a little bit on defense, I, and I've told this before, I think, Paul, you were on the show when I did, they have to free up Daniel Jones to be who he is, because one of the things I noticed in the press conferences afterwards, he has this sort of Eli Manning-esque stoicism. It's almost as if I'm watching Eli Manning. And I know they had the same coach, but he seems to be reverberating the same comments you used to hear from Eli. But he's not Eli. He's his own entity, his own person. And is it important for the Giants to actually free him up a little bit? I know the turnovers are an issue, but I mentioned this in a previous broadcast. They're going to happen because he's learning. But by the same token, he has to be his own man. And I, I don't see that And until he establishes it, because the most important player on the field is the quarterback, no matter how you cut it. So he has to establish his own identity as a player. And I think the offense will start to get in tune because even though they weren't in the two games you mentioned, Pittsburgh and Chicago, they were still there at the end until the very end when Pittsburgh uh, took off and obviously Roethlisberger had the touchdown. But until that happens, I don't see them establishing their identities uh, for the Giants' offense. And I was wondering if you agreed with that point. And I can take your answers off the air, guys. Thanks again. All right, Scott. Thanks for the phone call. Lance, I'll let you start, Paul. Well, Lance, I think we would both agree on this. The Giants have made it very clear that they want the identity of this offense to start with the offensive line. I mean, that's why they brought Mark Colombo in from Dallas, because they want to instill that nasty, physical, dominant kind of, you know, smash mouth offensive line mentality that the Cowboys had here in East Rutherford. And I, I, I personally believe that's got to be the identity of this offense more than anything else. And until that happens, and I think we started to see a little bit of that last week, I don't necessarily know that, that you could talk about any of the other aspects. Yeah, I would agree with you. I, I think that you need, first of all, a balanced offense, which is a stem of what you said, Paul. I mean, that's the key for the Giants right now. When the last caller talks about the quarterback is the identity of the team— and, you know, you want to know that your quarterback can, you know, get you over the hump. That's fine. But if you ask Daniel Jones to throw the ball 40-some-odd times, and I know he didn't throw it 40-some-odd times in the Rams. It was just underneath that 36. But if your team is in a position where they have to play catch-up every week, look at the Cowboys. Okay, they got Dak Prescott. And Dak Prescott, I would argue, is somewhat of an underrated quarterback in today's NFL. I don't think he gets enough credit that he deserves. Yet, despite all that Dak has done, which is throw for nearly 10,000 yards and throw for a number of touchdowns, it still wasn't enough, Paul, at the end of the day, because they're not having the opportunity to pound the ball like they've done in previous seasons. Why? Because game flow doesn't allow for it, despite all the talent. And their defense has struggled. So this is not an excuse for Daniel Jones. It's that everybody wants to make the conversation about the quarterback is on an island, and that's it. And I completely disagree with that philosophy. So if you're looking for the Giants' identity, I think it needs to start with balanced football. And balanced football is 
some semblance of a rushing attack. I'm not saying the Giants need to run for 130 yards every game, but you want to know that you can pick up, Paul, two to three yards a carry. You can get some positive yardage on a first down to set up some manageable seconds and thirds, which is what happened against the Rams. So you're not telling your quarterback, hey, it's third and 10. They're going to come at you, and they know the defense that the only thing that you can do is try to throw it down the field and have to win the game with the arm. And that's what's happened more often than not in the first few games of the season. So to me, is it's the balance. That's what the Giants need to strive for. You know, I don't think there was ever a better example of something I've been preaching for years, and you just alluded to it, and that is you must have a situational running game that allows your offense to function in an even and balanced fashion. And that, in all honesty, was exemplified down the stretch of the 2011 season when the Giants had amongst the worst rushing attacks in the in the league for most of the year. But then down the stretch and then through the postseason, and you've already quoted the numbers on this, Lance, so I know you're well aware of this, the Giants' offense decided, you know what? We are going to grind out that third and two first down. We're going to get that touchdown when the ball is on the one-yard line. And we are going to make sure that defenses are honest. They didn't suddenly become a great rushing team, but they became a functional rushing team in situations where it was necessary to keep the other team on their heels. And that's what it's about. You don't have to run for 130 yards a game. You can run for 105 yards a game. All right, you'd love to have the 130, but the 105 is fine as long as you can do it in the proper spots that will force the defense to be to, to maintain their honesty. Once they start cheating, you've got yourself a problem. Bingo. Well, I'll go back to the Rams game, and I'm looking at my notes here, Paul, which spells out exactly what you're talking about. In the first half against the Rams, these were the third downs, the downs and distances that the Giants faced. They faced a third and 12, third and 27, third and 13, third and 13, third and four, and a third and two, as well as a third and 10. So they only faced two downs in the first half of four or less yards. Everything else was 10 or more yards. Then what happened in the second half when they actually showed showed some semblance of a rushing attack? Well, you had a third and three, you had a third and six, you had a third and seven, you had a third and four, you had a third and three. The longest possession down, I should say, was third and 15. Out of all of those third downs, well, what changed? Why did situational football, Paul, improve? It's because if you go back and look at what they did on first and second down and having some runs that led to manageable third downs, it goes hand in hand. So that, to me, is exactly what you were hitting on. Yeah, totally agree with you, Lance. And the bottom line is the Giants, because they don't have an over-the-top superstar receiver, they have to keep people honest with their running game. Because if you allow them to cheat with their pass rush and then with their secondary, wh- what are you doing to yourself except, except making things even more difficult for an offense that's already struggling? Let's head back to the phone lines. Q is in Newark. Q, welcome aboard. What do you got for us? Yeah, how you guys doing? Uh, it's been a minute. I haven't been able to get through because of COVID and other reasons. Um I want to specifically talk about Gettleman because it seems like I can't get his name off my mind. Um, I don't. I'm, I'm going to try to. I have a several points, so I hope you guys just give me some some time to try to get everything off my chest because it's been a long time. I haven't caught, but I'm not going to take that much time. I want to talk about Gettleman, like his first 
transaction that I that he did that I didn't this, that I didn't agree with was Eric Flowers. He got rid of him or whatever. Um, now Eric Flowers is in Miami. He, he's progressing. He's doing well. He's not a. I think he's a guard now. Something yeah, like that. he's a completely he different contract. He's playing a guard. Yeah. So, so after so, the Redskins got rid of him, by the way, he's Correct. on his yeah, third yeah, contract. Yeah, 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 but, but basically, well, basically he got he got around some a team and coaches who actually got the best out of him that we did. Um, the reason why I brought Eric Flowers up, I said that to say is that now we still have offensive line issues. His first thing that he said he was going to do was fix the offensive line. He had this, quote, hog mollies. I don't see any hog mollies. I don't see any hog at all. Um, and that is the reason why we our offense looks the way it looks. We spent several first-round picks on the offense, and the offense is still struggling. Um, the, 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 another thing they did, uh, the, the uh, drafting a running back second of all, I, I've called up prior before and I didn't agree with that. I love Sequan Barkley. You, you, you drafting a running back with the second pick overall and we have a million and one other reasons, especially on the old line. You're going to take a running back. Now's knees blue. This is ridiculous. And another thing I wanted to talk about. We keep it's this patchwork thing we keep doing, like with, with the offensive line. We, we keep putting players that are not traditionally or wasn't doesn't have that much experience in playing a position. We're trying to make them into this position. We've been doing that for like seems like forever. Now I'm talking well, like about who specifically though. Can you give us an example? The the guy the guy that we well how many how many uh who, who was the guy that just left uh uh Jalapio wasn't he a uh, was he like a guard and we made him to center? Got rid of him. Who is this guy we got now? Nick Nick Gates, he's now a center. He's really, he, to me, it looks, well, this game was probably his best game at center. You know, the only thing I will say, could, if I heard you correctly, and I think that, that I did, basically it sounds like you're complaining because you want proven, experienced guys across the entire offensive line. No, 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 well, no, no, to do no, that no. in this I, league, you better not have a salary cap because you can't afford no. to do that. Well, 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 we wasted money by giving. We wasted a lot of money on on the tackle that he brought over from New England. He's terrible. He's worse than Eric Flowers. We got rid of him thinking he was going to be better than Flowers, and he's worse than Eric Flowers. Um, but, but my thing is that fix the O line. Fix it. Well, but fix they've been the, working on doing that. Uh, unfortunately, I, sometimes it, it the players like that were brought seven, in. How long has it been? How, how well, I understand it's been, it's been like a process, but in fairness, I mean, Andrew like Thomas has played four games. So, I mean, to say the I'm jury's even, out I'm with not, him. No, no, I, I'm, not, I'm not even com- complaining about him. I always give rookies the benefit of the doubt. Even, I'm, I'm even giving Daniel Jones the benefit of the doubt because he still technically is a rookie to me. He, he hasn't finished a whole season. Well, he just finished. So he just I, had his 16th start. Yeah, yeah. So I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, really, I'm not really too upset with Daniel Jones. Um, I just feel that a lot of things that oh, and he traded Odell. I don't. Oh my lord. <sighs> well, okay. Q. I mean, listen. We could sit he... here. We could sit here and rehash all the past moves from the Giants, and we've been there and done that. So I mean, at the end of the day, okay, long, it's not necessarily I mean, going to accomplish anything. Well, here's long, the other thing. Long, I, wa- I want to ask you this: How do, how do you say what you say when Dave Gettleman used three of his first five draft picks this past spring on offensive linemen? So and, and you're going to sit there and say he hasn't done but anything to help his. the line out. I don't. I don't. No, no, I don't no, get no, that. No, no. 
Well, and he well, signed Cameron well, Fleming, well, who, by the way, came from his offensive coordinator system, and he and also belongs to the offensive line coach, who also had him there. So that made perfect sense. Okay, so I mean, I'm really having a hard time understanding what planet you're coming from. Well, and also acquired well, Kevin not, Zeitler, who's a veteran. To your point, that's never, a proven guy. And here's the other thing, Q. It's sort of hypocritical to claim that the Giants let go of Eric Flowers and decided not to move him to guard, but then criticize them for taking Nick Gates and moving him from tackle to center. So if your argument is you don't like moving guys around, then how could you argue they should have moved Eric Flowers from tackle to guard? And just that remember something: well, when Gates Eric Flowers was here, and they asked. Him. Nick, Nick, what, Nick Gates what? wasn't a first-round draft pick. That's why. No, but that's so why. why. So, so, so Nick, Nick, yeah, that, you're right. So Nick Gates did not have a proven track record at center. That's absolutely so correct. That's my point no one's arguing that. that. But the other four guys were all heavily invested in for one reason or another, whether it was trade, free agency, or draft. And as far as Eric Flowers is concerned, if you had known Eric Flowers, you would understand that he was extremely – he turned it to be a very uncooperative here. And he didn't Paul, want to play here. No, no, Paul, but, but, but Flowers did not Paul, want to play here. Guy. Did you understand that? Eric Flowers did not want to play here. Flowers also yeah, had no proven track issue. record in college, too. Let, can we not forget about that, that fact? <laughs> See, Flowers is finally happy in Miami because that's where he's from. Clearly, he he's issue. got clearly he's he got issues. And obviously, he left Washington, too. He's in Miami because that's where his homeland is. That's where his people are, his family, his friends. He's the kind of guy who unfortunately did not you mature quick enough Paulie, and needed to go but, back home to play. Paulie, Fine. Paulie, Paulie. Okay, answer this question, please. You're going to take, would you, as a GM, take a running back second overall? Please answer that. One thousand percent I was on board with Saquon Barkley, and I maintain that. And that's fine. You're not the GM, and neither am I. We don't have the right to make that decision. I'm asking you, would you? I'm taking Saquon Barkley 10 times out of 10. Second overall. Case closed. 10 times out of 10, I'm taking Saquon Barkley because he's not just a running back. Well, 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 look at us now. His his knee is blown. But you don't know. But hold on, Q. Q, you could disagree with Paul, and that's fine. But to then use the argument that he tears his ACL as if they knew he was going to tear his ACL. Three years later, but, come but, on. But I mean, this that's is my point. But, but you're, you're not understanding my point. My point is that's why I wouldn't waste a, a, a draft pick that high on a position that, that you can find. Either. We brought Victor Cruz in, like the skill positions. I'm not drafting the one that high. I would never. I, I'm not me. I would never do that. I would never do that. It's, it doesn't make sense. Where, where, we where, do, whoa, whoa, do, where'd, where'd the Cowboys take Ezekiel Elliott? Do you want, you want to tell me that? Because they had an offensive line to compliment him. Okay, but the Giants' plan was... Oh, hold on. See, there's the key. There's the key. Gettleman had plans in place to fix the Giants' offensive line as soon as he got Barkley here. And because it hasn't worked out, you're using the 2020 hindsight argument, which is always going to be clear. But if you turn the clock back to when he made the decision, he was a 1,000% correct. Pearson, we're done. We're done. End of that. (laughs) Okay. Let's move along here. Let's go to Tony in Morristown, New Jersey. What's happening, Tony? Hey, guys. Uh, Paul and Lance, it's really great to talk to you guys. Hi. Um, but I wanted to ask a question about Evan Ingram. So I think when Jason Garrett got hired to the Giants, I think a lot of fans were optimistic about how he might use Evan Ingram because the biggest knock on him so far is that 
you know, he gets injured pretty often. But, I mean, when you look at him now, by all accounts, he's pretty healthy. So, like, the biggest disappointment, I think, so far this season is, you know, he's dropping passes, he's missing blocks, uh, and he's ultimately been a a pretty big disappointment. So my question to you guys is, what do you think it's going to take? Like, what do you think is holding him back from being a real threat uh, offensively at the tight end position? And I'll take your answers off the air. All right, Tony. Appreciate the phone call. Well, I think it's been always a matter of consistency with Evan. I don't think there's a question about talent, Paul, because I go back to last season. If you look at what Evan did in the first, what was it, the first three or four games before, unfortunately, the injury bug started. I think the injury bug started against the Vikings. So that was, what, game five because Washington was game four. Mm -hmm. He, without any question, proved that you get him out in the open field, he's a weapon. There's no doubt about it. I mean, he was having a career year. That's where he was headed towards. So it's not talent. It's a matter of consistency, concentration. That's what I look at with Evan. It's taking advantage of those opportunities. It's not as if nobody on the staff now or nobody on the staff last year doesn't understand what Evan does well. It's just a matter of you have some highs and lows with him as of late, where you see what he did against the Bears, for example, Paul, in the second half, where he was very productive, and then you saw the opener against the Steelers, where he had his moments and he couldn't capitalize. So to me, it's not a talent issue with Evan. It's a matter of consistency and the level of play that you know he's capable of doing, putting that together for all four quarters. Yeah, I I couldn't agree with you more, Lance. And, you know, I think, unfortunately, you look at Dallas and the time that uh, Jason Garrett was there, and he had a Hall of Famer there. You know, Jason Witten put up ridiculous scoreboard type of numbers that, you know, unfortunately, the expectation then becomes, well, if he's going to come here, he'll make sure that Ingram kind of duplicates the kind of numbers that Witten had. Well, that doesn't automatically happen. And, and I think in a lot of ways, that's why people are disappointed right now because Ingram, to me, I mean, what's he got 17 catches in four games? That's not nearly enough. You know, I, I, I think he's got to do more than that. But, you know, for me, I, I would say this. I'm more disappointed in the fact that I don't think the tight ends as a whole have blocked nearly as well as they need to to help out an offensive line that has been reconfigured and certainly could have used the extra help. Well, I think that's well-documented, 100% with you. Plus, you know, when you look at the tight end position, you also take into consideration the Caden Smith false start. And I'm not saying the loss against the Rams is on him, but, you know, even the decision-making of the tight end group has unfortunately come back to bite the Giants. So it's the group overall. Mm -hmm. Uh, Even, you know, Levine Toilolo in terms of, you know, what he could perhaps bring to the table. So, you know, you want to see consistency across the board, but I think with Shepard sidelined as well as Saquon, you can't ask for a better opportunity if you're Evan Ingram to say, hey, this is my time to be the guy. So the opportunity's there. It's just a matter of the consistency meeting the opportunity. And by the way, Lance, just in case there are those folks out there who were not aware, uh, just to go back to the previous call, Ezekiel Elliott was the fourth overall pick by the Cowboys uh, when they selected him in their draft back in 16. So what happens is, just from a philosophical perspective, if you believe that you're going to be changing franchise quarterbacks sometime in the next couple of years, then you want to know that he's got a running game that he can lean on so he can develop properly. So that's one reason you take the running back there. The other reason you would take the running back there is because you believe either you have a solid offensive line or you are in the process of building one that within two to three years, it will be so good that 
you'll be able to fully maximize the potential of that running back. And oh, by the way, Barkley's not just a regular running back because Bingo. we already know he is a huge part of the passing game as well. And he is one of those excedrin guys that coordinators stay up all night on Monday trying to worry about, and it impacts their game plans. So those are the three overwhelming logical reasons why Gettleman was correct in taking Barkley, and there is no debate. Well, the third one needs to be emphasized even more because it's always associated with Saquon Barkley that he's a running back. Saquon Barkley's a weapon, okay? He's a game changer. He's a playmaker, just like Christian McCaffrey is. You don't just bring in somebody and replace Christian McCaffrey. You don't bring in somebody and replace Saquon Barkley. And I get the philosophy, by the way. I'm not against the philosophy that if you have a good offensive line in place, you can grab a running back in the middle rounds or an undrafted guy. Look at the Niners, for example. San Francisco with Jarek McKinnon, with Raheem Mostert, with Jeff Wilson. They got a nice group of backs. Are they game changers? Are they Saquon Barkley? No, but you could be a very productive team if you scout well and the guys buy into the system. So I agree with that philosophy also, but to say that Saquon's just a running back is unfair and not doing justice to his game. Let's finish up with one more caller. Len is in Maryland. Len, what's happening? Hey, guys. How you doing? Hi. You're right, Len. What do you got? Uh, Listen, a couple of quick shout-outs and then a couple of questions uh, that hopefully you can answer for me. Um, first shout out, um, you know, I want to give a lot of credit to the league office, uh, the players association, ownership groups, and the players themselves for pulling this off so far. And what, what it says to me is if, if you have a common sense of purpose, respect for each other, and trust each other, that you really don't need a collective bargaining agreement to do collective bargaining. And that's really what's happened here. They have bargained together on the protocols without something in place dictating what they were going to do. And I, I admire that greatly. I think those four groups, including the players, have just done a fantastic job to get us to this particular point. Hopefully we get to the end of the season. All right, second shout-out. Uh, you know, a lot of credit going to Blake Martinez, rightly so. You know, you need somebody on the defense to get people on the ground, and Martinez is doing that. Huh? He's making a lot of tackles. But let me let me point out that I, I think the key is those front three, particularly Dalvin Tomlinson. Um, you know, the interior can't get to the, the interior offensive lineman can't get to those linebackers. Blake's running free. And he's nailing people, and they're going down when he nails them. But I think we've got to give a little credit to the front three, particularly, you know, particularly Tomlinson. Um, he's controlling that middle, and I think that's going to happen. I mean, look, we've got a young veteran playing very well, Tomlinson, and we've got this guy, fourth-round draft choice. Okay, okay, you know, he's, he's supposed to be really good, but, I mean, playing his first game. So I think that should continue this week. If Martinez has 15 tackles this week, I would, you know, combined. I, I, I really wouldn't be surprised. All right, my two questions for you. Um, um, we, look, we've got to take a shot down the field. I, I know, you know, establish the run, uh, you know, balanced attack and so forth. But, man, uh, you know, the passing game, we've got to take some shots down the field on this Dallas team. I mean, that, that's, that's an office, awful defensive backfield. They, they, they play terribly. We've got to give them enough time to get the ball down the field. 
Well, um, that's the key, though. But, Give him enough time to get the yeah, ball down the field. Yeah, you got I got you. Well, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm hoping for the perfect. Uh, I'm hoping. No, for I, the I understand. Scenario, but, listen, know, we could all hope, but no. those things have to meet each other in order for the goal to be achieved. That's my point. I got you. I got you. Big day for Golden Point for Golden Tate. Uh, so, you know, second point. Um, maybe we get Peppers back this week. You know, uh, releasing Chandler, the safety, is probably an indication that maybe Jabril is, you know, ready to go. And I think we're going to need that because 18 to 25 yards down the field, Gallup, Cooper, C.D. Lamb, cutting across the field. I mean, that could be a nightmare. So I hope he gets Jabril back and he contributes. But, man, we're going to need good play at the safety position because I think they're going to attack it. I'd like your opinion on that. Thanks for taking my call, guys. I All appreciate right, it. Have a good day. You got it. And Joe Judge talked about injuries off the top, Paul, and, and said that tomorrow will be the true test for everybody when they put the pads on and, and get rolling. But, you know, right now, I think it's a little too early to tell in terms of who may be available on Sunday. But there's no doubt about it that you talk about Cooper, you talk about Lamb, you talk about Gallup, you talk about Dalton Schultz, who also is now filling in for the injured tight end Blake Jarwin. Dak's got a lot of guys that he could spread the wealth, and you also have to account for Zeke as a receiver out of the backfield. Lance, I'll only say one thing about this. If you leave somebody open on Sunday like you did with Cooper Cup last week against the Rams, you can expect the same result. They've got explosive playmakers, and you don't want them to open up Pandora's box because you can't just neatly put that back in. There's no doubt about it. Well, that is going to wrap up Big Blue Kickoff Live, Wednesday's edition. Thanks, for everybody, for tuning in and listening. Presented by the New York Lottery. Get out there and play. As a reminder, you can find the archive of this show and our entire podcast network brought to you by Investors Bank on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere, and at Giants.com slash podcast. We'll be back up and running at noon Eastern on Thursday, so stay tuned for that. Thanks to Pearson for his assistance. For Paul Dettino, I'm Lance Meadow. Enjoy the rest of your Wednesday, and always stay locked to Giants.com. Have a good one.